Avery. Duncan. Jim, and this is Topic Lore, is the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Avery, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Yeah, my name is Avery. I have uh, an album that is uh, not yet available on Spotify, but someday will be available on Spotify once Spotify stops rejecting the, the album art co- work. Tell them I said it was okay. Okay, I'll do that. They probably just don't know that you think it's okay. Yeah. You know, since I always plug that, I'll also plug... Can I plug someone else's obscure artwork who is never going to find out that I yeah. plugged? Okay. Read the Mauritania comics by Ryan, by Ryan Reynolds. He's been publishing them since the 1980s. Uh, he's English. He works, I think, in a hospice or something. And he publishes these comics that take place on Earth after Earth has lost a battle to some kind of alien force. And then people just have to kind of get along with their lives. And it's like all of Earth has been turned into sort of a dysfunctional ex-Soviet bloc country. This is by the guy who played Detective Pikachu? Yep, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> by that by that, by that, that very Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Huh, okay. There's a lot more going on inside that, guys. Huh, I never realized they have the same, uh, the same names. I don't know. Let me reach over. And now I'm worried that... Uh, let me reach over and grab a copy of this comic. I wasn't actually prepared to... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. It's Chris Reynolds. It's not Ryan Reynolds at all. Thanks <laughs> okay. for thanks for double checking that. Uh, Detective Pikachu. My world is shattered. I was really hoping Detective Pikachu wrote these comics. I would like to live in the world where Detective Pikachu wrote uh, these sort of like dream logic comics. Yeah. About the conquered Earth. Uh, Duncan, Duncan, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Hi, I'm. Uh, Duncan Robson, and I have a website. I'm a I'm a video editor, and uh, you can see a bunch of my videos on duncanrobson.com or my YouTube channel or uh, my Twitter is Dunk R. So when you say you're a video editor, like that's that's a job, but it's also a hobby. It's more of a hobby than a job at this point. Uh, of your hobby <laughs> videos, what's the one that the listeners probably seen? Oh yeah. Uh, that would be Let's Enhance, which is, I don't know, 13 years old now. And that's a that's a super cut of people in movies saying let's uh, saying enhance. That's yeah. excellent. That's very good. Yeah, that's the bit that's the biggest one. There was one called Three Point Landing with that superhero with that uh, Ryan Reynolds pose. Um, <laughs> the detective Pikachu pose, I call it. I, mean, I, I, was, I, I made that pre Deadpool. But um, right. Is most of your uh, output supercuts of things? Uh, I make uh, game trailers and edit videos for various people. Uh, Duncan, did, I remember. I remember talking to you about this. You you were saying that you're very attracted to the kind of work that leads to supercuts, which is to say, kind of mindless collation and searching. Yes. <laughs> and so I think these these things just kind of fall out of you, relaxing. Uh, definitely. Yeah, they fall. They fall out of me. Uh, not being able to work because of immigration reasons. Right. <laughs> Some work has come out of doing this, but um, yeah, it's not it's not a very healthy um, pastime. <laughs> uh, are we ready to start on some topics? Yeah. I am ready. Avery, your topic is, judging by the selection on eBay, the 60s and 70s seem to have been the golden age of belt buckles. Uh, yeah, you know, I was looking at all of the topics that I suggested around that same time, and yeah. they're all eBay related. <laughs> like the other one is about 
we didn't do them all at once. No. Actually, have we? We didn't already do the belt buckles one, did we? No, we we didn't. No. Okay, good because we have the, like you still have collectible Cheetos on eBay on your list. Yeah, but we definitely did collectible Cheetos. Right. I was just like I wasn't sure. Like, did I just not delete any of these? All right, let's. But we can talk about belt buckles. Yeah, no, but like I didn't. I certainly wouldn't want to put all the eBay topics in one show. But you know, if you had an eBay, uh, you went into an eBay fugue state and came out with six really good eBay topics, <laughs> we can use them over the course of the next year. It seems to be what happened. Uh, I'm just trying to wonder where I was in my life that I was both looking at because I seem to remember myself looking at just an endless feed of belt buckles. <laughs> and then also uh, collectible Cheetos. Right. But yeah, so if, if you happen to be looking for a belt buckle, uh, as I am want to do once in a while, um, it, it, it might uh, hit you that there were a lot of unusual and like promotional belt buckles, and they all seem to be centered around the, the 60s and 70s. And I think they kind of overlap with, uh, there was a brief period in time where the United States seemed to have a fascination with long haul truckers where like, you know, there yeah. was, there was that convoy song and then there was a movie. Yeah. Made. C.W. McCall just died. I think yesterday as of this recording. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. We had, we had that uh, obsession with long haul truckers in the UK. Too. Really? Wow. As a kid, I, yeah, I was obsessed with like me and my older brother would draw like, American trucks. Oh, so this was borrowed. This wasn't with like American long haul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we saw we saw Convoy. I don't remember much about Convoy. <laughs> you saw Convoy. Did you know that Convoy? The movie is based on Convoy, the song. Oh, the the one that's in the movie. Oh, probably. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's probably the one. <laughs> I didn't know. It was yeah. All right. <laughs> I was for a moment. I was gonna pepper you with questions about what long haul trucking in the UK is like because yeah. like there's. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't know. There's cer- <laughs> certainly a need for long haul trucking in the United States, but the UK is a, is a, is a, is a little bit smaller. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine there's a lot more concern about passports and like <laughs> yes. it, like import like import regulations. Yeah, I don't think yeah. American truckers yeah. are into that. It, it, at least not the ones from the '60s that everybody briefly and strangely um, idolized. Right. They have those Euro truck simulator games. Oh, um, yeah. How much of that is just, like, stamping forms? I don't know. I've never tried one. <laughs> oh, I love the idea of a game where it, you have to do, like, a whole bunch of paperwork before and after you do anything in the game. Right, yeah. Like a police game where you have to file copious amounts of paperwork every time you shoot someone. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that was, the, that was the Police Quest series. Up until they pivoted to be, like... Um, Oh man, I forget the name of the guy. Daryl Gates, the the guy who um, spearheaded the the Rodney King disaster. He headed up the, the like Police Quest Five and turned it into like his own um, vision of of the absolute terror that everybody in the inner city lives in of super criminals. But before that, it was basically just like how closely can you follow the police rule book? Like the manual of the game explained how to. You know all the all the regulations you had to follow, and you had to like examine the tires of your car before driving away. And if you didn't look both ways before crossing the street, a car would hit you every time. And this is this a game designed for the general public to play, or is this a game as a piece of art? 
Well, you have to understand, this was Sierra in the 80s. So, like, adventure games of the time were extremely nitpicky and finicky, and or, or at least Sierra games specifically, nitpicky and finicky and, like, extremely inclined to punish you. So, it, it's not that much of a stretch. There's a, there's a good article about this, about that game on Vice, written by Duncan, Duncan Fife. Oh, the, the Daryl Gates game? I'll put that in the show notes if I remember to. And if I don't, maybe you can remember to remind, to remind me. Sure. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry. I know this is, a t- this is a tangent, but did you say, does the guy that designed this game have something to do with Rodney King? What, what was that? Okay, so the, the Police Quest series at first follow the, rule, the police rulebook game for like four, four games. And then basically to court the controversy – the head of the company, Ken Williams, hired Daryl Gates, the um, chief of police, during the Rodney King, you know, fiasco, to make the next Police Quest game. And that's when it turned into... Uh... Yeah, Daryl Gates' own personal vision of hell, which is to say, like, inner city LA. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, you know, you should definitely check out that article that Duncan just linked. Not right now, but, you know, someday. <laughs> that's fascinating. And... <laughs> In a, in both hilarious and horrible. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, so belt belt buckles. <laughs> Tell us about these buckles. Um. <laughs> uh, well, that seems sort of mundane compared to what we were just talking about. But uh, it seems like a lot of um, promotional belt buckles got made in the sixties and seventies. For were any of them racist? Probably. I don't know. It was the sixties and seventies. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure a lot of uh, racist people were wearing them, but not all racist people. No, of course. All kinds of people like belt buckles. <laughs> that would be, if every racist person had to wear a belt buckle, that would be exhausting. <laughs> it, would also, it would also make um, choosing your friends and enemies easier. That's true, yeah. Boy, I'm just... My topic just seems so small now. Uh, <laughs> the, the grand scheme of things, you know? It's okay. We it prompted this discussion of Police Quest Five. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not sure. Maybe because a lot of your listeners are probably video game people. Maybe they already knew about this. Oh, it's totally plausible. But I, I, I want it to be like a general audience podcast. Yeah. Well, as a as a as a only video game adjacent person, uh, I'm I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a very odd story in in game history. Well, it sort of reminds me of like, you know, um, I'm sure you know this better than I do, but uh, in the early days of video games, they were ruined because anybody with anything to promote could make a game. And so like Wendy's made a game or no, Craft made a game or something where it was a picnic game and you had to like save your craft food from ants. And it was just like a whole (laughs) bunch of really (laughs) awful crap was being designed for the atari uh yeah yeah that was that, that was specifically the atari 2600 and that um is one of the factors supposedly that led to the crash of the the video game crash of the 84 was that they didn't have any drm on their game console and so any idiot could make make a video game and and did and <laughs> they flooded the market which then led to like None of these games actually sold through, and so there were these bargain bins where you, there's the barrel of games for like two dollars each, and uh, 
you know, your dad is going to the toy store and he's like, well, I could spend $40 on the game the kid actually asked for, or I could get 20 games and be the hero of Christmas. <laughs> but it's like 20 games where you're defending your food from ants. Right, yeah, yeah. The E.T. game, the the worst one, I was reading there's a level where you just fall into a hole and you can't get out. <laughs> uh, I I actually just read um, Howard Scott Warshaw's autobiography where he talked in detail about the problems with that game. I would love somebody to recreate that game to like just just recreate it with like really up to date graphics or something. Oh, yeah. Like no change to ga- the gameplay is just yeah. super HD graphics. That'd be amazing. Yes. So in the 1960s and 70s, it seemed a lot of uh, a lot of companies were creating um, belt buckles, promotional belt buckles. You could get there's a lot of uh, if, if you search eBay, you get a lot of um, uh, belt buckles that are people's names from the ni- men's names from the 1970s from the 1960s and 1970s. And then they just taper off. But there's a lot of like Dennis and Doug and then tractor companies. But then also there's like small electrical engineering firms that uh, released their own belt buckles and um, other kinds of there's uh, Hewlett Packard has some belt buckles. And it's just there must have been a a huge increased market in the 60s and 70s that uh, floated all of this. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally want a Hewlett-Packard belt buckle, except that I just don't. I, I wear suspenders pretty universally instead of belts. You can't really put a belt buckle on suspenders. It doesn't work. Well, you could put them like all along the sides of your suspenders. You could you could make like a, you know, it would look like it would look like flare at like a TGI Fridays. <laughs> right. I'm looking. I'm looking at seventies belt buckles right now, and uh, wow. Yeah, I want one. There's got to be one for me. I mean, there's so many different kinds. There, there's got to be one for every for every one of us. I, I had this idea that um, I. Uh, uh, I haven't played music publicly in a long time. And I, I thought when I finally get back to it, what I want to do is just buy a bunch of personalized belt buckles instead of having t-shirts and stuff to sell and just, uh, ho- hope that like Sue or, or, or Dennis or Carl, that there's one of those at the show and then they'll buy one of these belt buckles. Yeah. All the band members could wear their, their own name on a belt buckle yeah you know what i haven't seen is a personalized avery belt buckle from the from the from the uh, 60s or 70s yeah avery is not a common enough name you gotta laser cut it (laughs) and then age it so it looks uh there's like a lot of nice chunky brass belt buckles with people's names and also here's one that says van van man (laughs) (laughs) that's not a thing you want to advertise (laughs) Well, I mean, back in the day, I guess in the 60s and 70s, like a van was something that one might identify as being the owner of. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, maybe you're was, right. Maybe it was cool. It 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 meant that you could go anywhere and do whatever you wanted because you could always just sleep in your van. Yeah. Here's one, one that says Winchester repeating arms. Yeah. There's a lot of gun ones. Those make sense to me. Here's one that says Digicon. Digicon. Yeah, I don't know what it is. The logo is a is a D with sort of an arrow. I'm I'm really hoping it's a con it's a conference about fingers. 
<laughs> it's, I mean, if it was made before computers, then that's not a bad guess. There must be a lot of uh, multi-purpose belt buckles, too. When I search for Digicon, is funeraldirectorslife.com. Oh, boy. <laughs> Capital D-I-G, lowercase I-C-O-N. This one is all lowercase, so it could totally be. Yeah, it could be a completely separate. This Dig Icon. This is what is this? Dig Icon. Oh, Dig Icon. This is like a sales system for funeral directors or something. What? They keep using this phrase pre need professionals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that mean like when you talk to the funeral director before you're dead, like just in case you die? Wow. Like I'm not dead yet, but I'm going to need a funeral someday. Join thousands of pre-need professionals who have discovered the secret to effortless pre-need sales. Yeah, it sounds like you're selling you're selling your services beforehand, which God, I want to sign up for this. Yeah. I bet you get you could get it real cheap. It's like <laughs> how you can get life insurance more cheaply when you're young. Yeah, true. Yes. You <laughs> can uh, I worked as a pre-planning specialist for three years prior to being introduced to Digicon. For me, Digicon was a game changer and allowed me to maximize my time selling and reduce the hours I had previously spent. This doesn't explain what it is, but in the corner, no. there's a little thing that says funeral, funeral, funeral directors. I think it might be point of sale software. For funeral directors. Right. Wow. I love discovering a a subculture yeah this what got me so excited about those um not to harken back to my greatest hits of topic lords but about those uh those collectible cheetos i thought i had discovered a legitimate cheeto collecting <laughs> subculture <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna have to listen to that one yeah i know it's a great episode i'm still not convinced you didn't like i haven't looked close I, I, i'm afraid to look too closely to discover that there's nothing there did you ever buy that cheeto I, I I bid on it and got outbid. Um, oh, uh, right. There is a Cheeto that I've thought about buying that is described as "quote unquote" cute human fetus. Um, actually, it's <laughs> it's described as cute baby fetus, um, which makes me think that there might be something called an adult fetus. Uh, and it's it's in a glass jar, and it and it it, it claims that ten um, percent of the sales will go to. The American Cancer Society. Oh, that the Cheeto, ultra rare Cheeto shaped like Batman crying is still up for sale. <laughs> uh, I tried to buy some uh, Watsits the other day, which are kind of like British Cheetos. Yeah. For the only reason was because like we had some Itsits in the freezer. <laughs> and we also had this kind of fruit chew thing from Costco called a That's It. <laughs> And I wanted to get the three of them together in a picture. So I went to a, a store that imports British snack foods. How'd it go? They, did, they didn't have it. Oh, no. I, I just, I'm going to have to get my parents to bring some when they come. What's a coronet? Coronet. Oh, you mean a, a cornetto? Yeah, a cornetto. Is it, is it food? Like, like prepackaged ice cream cone. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for solving that problem, that mystery that I've had for a long time. <laughs> uh, before this topic ends, I'd just like to point to a collection of um, old uh, belt buckles that I found. Several are for gear companies. Smith Gruner Gear Company. Pasco Gear Company since 1948. Uh, and then one for the 1982 World's Fair in Tennessee. All right. Yeah, paste a link. Are we ready for another topic? I'm ready. I was, I've never been more ready for anything in my entire life. 
Duncan, your topic is the time a parent of my kid's friend said, do you remember Tetris? Oh, yeah. So this, uh, I guess this is really about being a parent and uh, becoming friends with people that you have very little in common right. with. Yep. I don't know if you're experiencing this too, Jim, but... Um, I'm also extremely asocial, so not as much as you probably. <laughs> really nice uh, family um, who we've spent a lot of time with. Uh, one day, we chatting, I can't remember what we were talking about, but she said, do you remember Tetris? Uh -huh. And Was this after like five minutes of silence where she was desperately trying to think of anything to say? <laughs> Thought for a minute, and I'm like, I, I think I'd be playing uh, Tetris Effect, the latest one, like the night before. <laughs> Like you, you made a Tetris game. Yeah, <laughs> I I can know a guy who uh, made a a Tetris World Championship documentary, and like I must have played at least uh, like twenty twenty versions of Tetris over the years, and uh, and I I don't even consider myself like a big Tetris guy. Right, and like, you spent the next half hour explaining all this. <laughs> I know. I just said, uh, yeah, yeah, I remember Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> we carried on with with the conversation, but yeah, being a parent. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. I, I like it's taken me a while, but I'm kind of enjoying meeting people who otherwise I would never get to know. Yeah, uh, who have all all kinds of different backgrounds, and they might not know about Tetris, but they know about a lot of weird stuff. Sometimes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sometimes stuff you don't want to know. But it's, uh, it's good. this happened to um, a member, an old member of my band, who is. She's been a parent for a little while, and I guess it got out in her son's school that she's a musician. She plays mandolin, and she played mandolin in my band, which was a band that included a lot of like performance art, and we made our own instruments and things like that. And uh, she was approached by one of the other parents who said, hey, all, all of us parents have a band together where we do U2 covers. <laughs> and <laughs> she, wasn't, she wasn't sure how to... Um, how to politely get out of this uh, this YouTube cover band without insulting these parents? Oh yeah, I told some people in the PTA that I edit videos, and, and I've I've had to do a live stream of spelling bee. And uh, you mean edit? Like edit it's not one. really the yeah. I I didn't even have to edit anything. Oh, I see. You just ran <laughs> like, OBS. They, and... Just video. Yeah. Video. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think your uh, your what sound like? hilariously tuned into internet humor videos would go over well with the other parents in your like have they looked at your at your some of them have and some of them have shown their kids which is <laughs> weird there's nothing inappropriate in them really but yeah they're, they're all kind of a product of their time and kind of embarrassing to to talk about now so especially to people who aren't familiar with the tropes or whatever that are you like embarrassing when you talk to normies about your nerd interests is, is that what you mean that's what yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> in order for that to be the case now, they have to be real niche nerd interests because, like... Yeah, well, especially in the Bay Area. Well, and, like, the nerd things that I kept secret from the world when I was a kid are now... Um, are, have now become pop culture. Like, I can just say in a crowd of people that I used to be in a Vampire the Live Action role-playing group <laughs> and people will, like, not bat an yeah. eye. And somebody will go, cool. <laughs> Which is not, which is not, which is definitely, it's not true. That's not cool. <laughs> but, but we've come to a strange place in society. Yeah, yeah. You go, you go into like, uh, you go into the Forever Twenty One, and you yell Skeletor, and then everybody just cheers. Yes. <laughs> People high five you when you walk down the street dressed as Wolverine. 
<laughs> right. Oh, dangerous. That's not that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess if you high-fived him too too hard, his claws would pop out. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I was just assuming the claws were out. I was talking to another parent who had just seen Star Wars for the first time, and I kind of said, yeah, I used to, I used to like Star Wars. And then the uh, husband showed up, and uh, he was wearing an R2-D2 t-shirt, and she said, oh, Duncan just said he didn't like Star Wars. <laughs> no, no, this is great. I saw the Mandalorian. It was cool. Yeah, that Star Wars is fine. Get out of my house! <laughs> Don't make me say it in hoodies. <laughs> I also used to like Star Wars. I liked it again for one movie, which was The Last Jedi, and then I didn't like it anymore. Wow, yeah, that same. is not the one I thought you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back when I owned a coffee shop i had a much younger regular who came in all the time and one day and he was a very nice guy struck me as having really good taste in art and stuff like that and one day when the new power rangers movie was coming out he like buttonholed me so i couldn't get out of the th- coffee shop and explained all this stuff about power rangers like really excited my reaction was to think oh i bet star wars isn't any good and i and like it's just because I was the right age when Star Wars was around. And if I had been 10 years younger, I would be this guy who, like, cannot seem to contain his... This adult man who can't seem to contain his excitement about the Power Rangers movie. I I think there's a lot of truth to that, but that's too painful for me to admit. <laughs> it's too... Like, it's too much. Like I have seen documentaries about how Star Wars is good because it's based on the works of Joseph Campbell... And now I think that all that is crap. I think that was made by other people who are like me, who are just reverse engineering a reason why this is a good piece of art. Right. No, I, yeah, I don't think, I don't think basing your story on a formula is a, makes it good art. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, yeah, really? Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's totally plausible. I, 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 if somebody wanted to come at me with like, their white paper about how like kingdom of the crystal skull is exactly as good as Raiders of the lost Ark. <laughs> I, I would have to believe them. I would have no choice. I don't know about that. <laughs> I can't, I can't follow you to there. Maybe if you saw that one first and you were at the perfect age. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Because I would be like, no, I mean, it's supposed to be wacky. That's why there's that. <laughs> That's why they're they're fucking trans-dimensional beings at the end or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh, remember Tetris? <laughs> <laughs> this is a topic about Tetris. <laughs> uh, are you ready for another topic? Yeah. yeah. I am ready. Uh... My topic is the JVC Pocket Mail, uh, which is a device, like an early personal digital assistant, where you could write email on it and then hook it up to a phone, like a literal, it had a modem on it, and it would make this screeching noise, and it would send all the email you'd written and, and pull down your new emails, uh, and it cost 100 bucks, and then you'd pay $10 a month for the email subscription fee. Wow. Wow. It was developed and, by NASA? <laughs> According to this, it used technology developed by NASA. Oh, I just saw the... <laughs> Yeah. You, you, you could say that about a lot of things. Yeah. I was really excited. Any product developed by anybody who's ever drank Tang. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it says popularity of the pocket mail peaked around 2000, but it doesn't say when it was developed. Oh, they they were using it in Australia as late as 2007. 
Amazing. Wow. I think this is before Australia became like a hip, cool place. Uh, here's a review on dansdata.com from April 2000. Email anywhere. On the bus, at the beach, in the jungle. <laughs> but that's not true. You had to connect it to a phone. Right, right. But you could you could read the email that you had downloaded earlier. You could read the email anywhere. And you could write it anywhere, but you couldn't send it until you actually got back to the phone. So you're in the jungle. You could read your email in the jungle and then write a response. And then if you survived all the quicksand. <laughs> right, right. You can't. You can't, like, write an email saying, I'm sinking in quicksand right now. Can you come help me? So, like, that's one of the use cases that it fails at. <laughs> Later, Pocket Mail dongle was created for the Palm Pilot. Is dongle yeah, a real word? Dongle? Yeah, it is. People use it as a, a, a way to refer to, like, a clumsy attachment to a computer or, I guess, in this case, to a Palm Pilot. Wow. So you could dongle this thing to your Palm Pilot. Was the Palm Pilot capable of, uh, I don't even know how to say it anymore. Like, yeah. Could it connect to the internet? I, I don't, I mean, I don't think so. I don't think Palm Pilots had Wi-Fi or Ethernet or anything like that. But I do remember people like making apps for it. So you could probably connect it to a computer and like install shit. Maybe like there were apps that used the same sort of uh, mechanism where like you'd write your email on the Palm Pilot and connect it to your computer. And then it would send. Okay, so so you got this pocket science thing, and you got your trusty Palm Pilot, and yep. you're going to make it easier to write emails by taking a dongle and yeah. connecting your pocket science to your Palm Pilot, writing your email on your Palm Pilot, downloading into your pocket science, and then connecting your pocket science to a phone line. Yeah, to your car phone. To your car phone. And then waiting till your car phone gets enough reception to transmit um, an amount of data, which is probably yeah, not... According to this, um, it sent about 160 bytes per second. <laughs> Boy. It'd be great if there were online games on this thing and you could... Play by mail, yes. No, you would use the acoustic coupling device on it. Yeah. So you would have to basically do like side talking. <laughs> That Nokia and was it the N gauge? I don't know. Yeah, it was the N gauge <laughs> with a giant phone. Oh, I should side talking should totally be a topic. I'm going to write that down right now. Oh yeah, it does have an inbuilt acoustic coupler, which allowed users to send. I'm impressed by how obscure this thing is. Like the Wikipedia article on it is perhaps a paragraph. Yeah, it's a paragraph in two sentences. It's mostly references, which is like how you. Actually, that's not true. References is empty, but then there's like a list of websites. Yeah, which is where all the references are. I click. I clicked on one, and it's um, spinoff.nasa.gov. <laughs> Whoa! 1999 article titled "Email on the Move," which has the same flavor to it as like a 1945 like pre-roll before a before a. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, like, San Francisco, city on the grow. <laughs> news on the march. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like news from the, from the front line. Check your pocket, dot, dot, dot. You've got mail. <laughs> wow. I like the look of it. It looks like, um, I wasn't able to picture it until I clicked on this. It looks like uh, one of those 
have you seen those like pocket translators that people used to have for English as a oh, second yeah. language? Yeah, it looks like one of those. Yeah, yeah, or like a like a phone that just has a keyboard on it. Yeah, like a very old keyboard phone. I, I want a keyboard phone. Why can't my phone have a keyboard on it? Can you get a keyboard phone attachment for like the iPhone? I don't know. I'm sure you can get one for Android, but also like I want it to be like part of the device so it like slides out and isn't just like flopping around. You mean you want like a razor or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to go back in time and use a Motorola razor instead. <laughs> is there some technical limitation as to why you couldn't just use one now? Like my guess is that none of them work anymore. Like I, I like every phone I've ever had broke after like four years. They just stopped working. Yeah. And I actually don't know the cause of that. It might be just be battery life or it might be that I drop it all the time. I definitely physically broke all of my phones. <laughs> right. This phone has been in the toilet, but it survived that. Uh, I, I talked about that experience on episode one of Topic Lords. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if that sounds interesting to you, Jim losing his phone in the toilet. <laughs> and how I saved it. But yeah, it may be that I um, it, that if you like somebody preserved their Motorola Razor in amber. Uh, <laughs> Then like I'd buy it on eBay, chip it out, buy it on eBay when I'm ne- buying my next batch of orbits. Or, or <laughs> if you find a mosquito frozen in amber that has drinking the blood of a Motorola, <laughs> you can then clone a Motorola from that mosquito. You gotta patch it with frog DNA. Yeah, bingo, bingo. I could use the fucking Linux like open source phone that that everybody likes. Everybody who's into that sort of thing. Ooh. I've never even heard of this. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Uh, yes. For this topic, we're going to be reading and discussing The Prelude by Matthew Zapruder. Who would like to read The Prelude? Uh, I suppose I can do it. The Prelude by Matthew Zapruder. Oh, this Diet Coke is really good. Though come to think of it, it tastes like nothing, plus the idea of chocolate. Or an acquaintance of chocolate, speaking fondly of certain times it and chocolate had spoken of nothing. Or nothing, remembering a field in which it once ate the most wondrous sandwich of ham and rustic chambered cheese, yet still wished for a piece of chocolate, before the long walk back through the corn, then the darkened forest, to the disappointing village and its super creepy bed and breakfast. With secret despair I returned to the city. Something seemed to be waiting for me. Maybe the chosen guide Wordsworth wrote he would, even if it were nothing better than a wandering cloud, have followed, which of course to me and to everyone sounds amazing. All I follow is my own desire. Sometimes to feel, sometimes to be at least a little more than intermittently at ease with being loved. I am never at ease. Not with hours I can read or walk or look at the bright colored houses filled with lives. Not with night when I lie on my back and listen, not with the hallway, definitely not with baseball, definitely not with time. Poor Coolridge, son of a vicar and a lake, he could not feel the energy. No present joy, no cheerful confidence, just love of friends and the wind taking his arrow away. Come to the edge, the edge beckons softly. Take this cup of darkness and stay as long as you want, and maybe a little longer. This is all what the Diet Coke was saying to the chocolate. Yeah, this is, or I think the last part is what chocolate was remembering, or or nothing was remembering. 
uh, the sandwich and uh, yeah, or nothing remembering a field in which it once ate. Yeah. So the so the last that the whole last part is nothing remembering a field in which it once ate some cheese and then wandered back to its disappointing bed and breakfast. And, and creepy. <laughs> it's disappointing and super creepy bed and breakfast. <laughs> that specificity is really very good. I'm still taking this in. You talk about this poem while I think. Um, I, I really like how it's a very small poem. It starts about, and Matthew Zabruder, this, this poet, does this kind of thing. He writes about I don't know, little manufactured things like this, this Diet Coke. The whole idea is the Diet Coke is really good, but actually it doesn't really have a flavor to it at all. Uh, and this starts him off thinking about nothing and chocolates and then sort of uh, expands out into this um, more serious theme of, of f- I take it to be anyway, this more serious theme of feeling sort of like empty and disaffected with uh with the things of the modern world and then he talks a little bit about wordsworth and the poem i wandered lonely as a cloud and it sort of seems like he's hoping he would have a guide like wordsworth had had this guide of a cloud i see i actually i have wondered for a long time so i always think of a, a good poem for me always has like a thing that i don't totally understand what it is in it that I keep coming back to. And I don't know what this thing about Coolridge is. I know that there's a Coolridge poem called The Prelude. And so I think this is a reference to that poem, but I've not actually read that Coolridge poem. And so I don't know what this thing about poor Coolridge, son of a vicar in a lake, he could not feel the energy nor, nor present joy, no cheerful confidence, just love of friends and wind taking his arrow away. I don't know what that means. Yeah, this, this is a poem. And I wonder like how often this happens and I just don't realize it's happening because I don't have someone there to recognize all the other poems that it's referencing. Like this is a poem that like you need to have read these other two poems to get all the value out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we sort of have T.S. Eliot to blame for that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like T.S. Eliot really took that to another, the next level, like the wastelands, his famous epic series of epic poems are like every other thing is an allusion to something and you can like read it and enjoy the imagery and the language but you get a lot more out of it if you go hunting for every little reference that's in there it becomes a puzzle poem yeah and i kind of don't like that approach to art where like art is just a thing where the artist has like disguised a message for you yeah and and that's like Kind of the default reading that I think a lot of people have of poetry yeah. is that you need to figure out what the themes of this poem are so you can think about what 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 they're about, right? What it's about, rather. And I, de- I definitely don't think that's true of this poem or of Tiasa. It's I, I, one of my favorite poets, but it's just like this this thing where you're like, feel like a, now I have homework <laughs> that if I really wanted to, like I feel like that's that's the sort of unfortunate. Like you can hopefully you yeah. enjoy this. No, this this poem actually very feels very much like it's just like I drank this diet coke and was reminded how unhappy I am about everything. <laughs> yes, yeah, and, and and to me at least, it's not like maudlin about about this kind of uh, maybe that's why I think of T. S. Eliot too because it's 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 sort of about dis- disconnection in the modern world. Because like diet, a diet right. coke is a very modern kind of thing to be thinking about, and it's an interesting contrast against these poets like Coolidge and uh, and Wordsworth, who wrote about the natural world. 
I'm excited to drink some Diet Coke and see where it takes me. <laughs> Would you like to do so on the air? I don't have any in the, in the house, so unfortunately. <laughs> It'd be a great segment where people review standard soft drinks, like a like a like a Diet Coke tasting or like a Mountain Dew tasting segment. That was Giant Bombs thing for a while. They would do uh, energy drink reviews. <laughs> I, tr- I I once uh, when my band was on tour, we were driving to Montana uh, to a recording studio, and we stopped and had um, we found this energy drink that I've never seen since called Van Dutch. That had, uh, I still remember it had the phrase freedom, power, style, motion around the lip of the can. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wanted my band to be sponsored by Van Dutch and I wanted our new slogan to be freedom, power, style, motion. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's like a Daft Punk song, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Are we ready for another topic? Ready. Duncan, your topic is hyper specific collections. Uh, yeah, so I have a bunch of tumblers i never go on tumblr anymore i'm trying to just prune my online stuff some of them are very specific collections of things in video games so for example some of the ones that i actually updated for a while were video game tumbleweeds video game manholes video game hot dogs Oh, hang, so when you say video game hot dogs, where you're talking about like images of hot dogs in video oh, games. images of hot dogs in video games. All right, I was going to okay. ask if that's a meaningful phrase because I was familiar right. with that as Jim's previous uh, podcast. Oh, yeah. No, no. Right, yeah. Um, the first one of these I saw was called Video Game Foliage, and I just thought it would be funny to do something even more specific, so I did the Tumbleweeds one, and I kind of got obsessed with making more of these things and occasionally like making animations with the results. The, but there's others, non-video game collections that are similar. They're basically like a supercut in kind of blog form or social media. Right. Uh, format. And, um, yeah, I like them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time. To, I don't have time to, to, to do them anymore, but, um, I thought we could talk about. Yeah. I, well, the, the one that comes to mind is a one that you were working on for a while, which was, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was, oh, it was, it was Hours Played. Oh, yeah. It was the one where you were working on a 24-hour clock composed of footage taken from video games of clock, that had clocks in them. I, I, I managed about two hours and, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't, as much as I'd like to complete that project, I can't justify it. Oh my gosh, were you going to do 24 hours in, like, a, a clock that runs 24 hours in composite? That's composited yeah. from video games. So I, I, I was, yeah, it was inspired by this uh, famous uh, art installation called The Clock um, by Christine Markley, which does the same thing with what with, with film. And uh, it's it's amazing. And uh, so my version was less successful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fun to do. And uh, Is that still up anywhere? It is. I was, uh, I took down the website because... Uh, I didn't want to keep paying for it, but um, right, it's still on YouTube. I love this um, artifact as just a way to just put it on in the background, like on your second monitor or whatever, yeah. and you just are constantly seeing, like, oh, that's a new weird thing that a video game can be. Yeah, it was a it was a fun way to show like the how broad the medium can be. The clips would be as long as 
as needed <laughs> to fill all the time. Okay. So any big gaps where I couldn't find anything, I would use a clock, which could be like a dynamic clock, which is updated, you know, by the, the computer. I'd, I'd use those to fill in all the time and, and kind of try to do creative links between them. I have a question before moving on to whether or not w- what what kinds of uh, hyper specific collections we would like to see. Do you have a favorite um, tumbleweed from a from a video game? It's <laughs> uh, a good question. No, <laughs> I, but I, I, re- I recently saw my my first real life tumbleweed uh, on a trip to LA. I've never seen one in in, in the wild before, uh, so that was exciting. Oh God. They don't have tumbleweed in England. No, <laughs> but the the reason I the reason I was collecting tumbleweeds because I, I I was commissioned by a, uh, an art gallery uh, in Columbus to make a tumbleweed supercut film tumbleweeds. So this this was kind of an extension of that. Oh wow, yeah, that's cool. Why don't you just get them to pay for more cool stuff? I don't know. They never came back to me with any any other stuff. Oh. They didn't pay. They didn't pay me a lot. Well, that's yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Jim, have you seen real life tumbleweed many places? You know, I'm pretty sure that tumbleweeds like originated in the in the Dust Bowl, and they haven't made any new tumbleweeds since. So, like everyone you see is an antique. <laughs> I'm just making some shit up. I don't know this, uh, but that's that's my head cannon. I I used to work at a coffee shop in San Jose, California, far far from the deserts of California where you might see a tumbleweed. And one day, and it was like on the, on a street corner with floor to ceiling windows. And one day it was a slow day and a tumbleweed, the size of a car just rolled <laughs> oh down God. the street. And it, I swear it stopped at the stoplight. And then when the stoplight went on again, it rolled away. And I was so excited that I kept pointing it out and saying really loud and like, trying to call all the customers' attentions to this tumbleweed because I'd never seen a tumbleweed in real life and I had no idea where it would have come from. <laughs> and then it right. just rolled off down the street and nobody else seemed to care. Oh, yeah. No, the, apparently the locals, this is just a tumbleweed the size of a car that stops at the stoplight and then continue. <laughs> that's just normal. It has a name. I feel it won't be long before we see it in, in uh, I don't know, San Francisco. I don't think I've ever seen one in real life. This is like, it's like, uh, uh, I've been thinking about quicksand ever since you were talking about emailing from the jungle. Right. When I was a kid, judging by cartoons, like I just, I was hyper vigilant of quicksand whenever we would go on, whenever we'd go on hikes with my family, because it just seemed like quicksand was everywhere. And if you, if you even touched it, you were going to die and you weren't going to just like die a normal death. You were going to like get crushed, like suffocated to death in quicksand. Yeah. Yeah. Like movies from the thirties really gave people the impression that quicksand was like a day-to-day worry. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I never saw any mention of poison oak in a movie. And <laughs> that is something whenever we go on a hike, it's uh, it's something we got to look out for and, and talk about. <laughs> yeah. That's a real danger. Yeah. That should be, that should be a poison oak movie. Yeah. Yeah. Where everybody gets really itchy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that would just be a comedy rather than an action movie. Maybe. Well, it could be like uh, extra virulent poison oak. Oh, sure. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or like sentient poison oak. Yeah. Uh, sentient poison oak would be a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> if it catches you, you'll be really itchy. There is a, there is a, a, a tumbleweed 
episode of The Outer Limits, which I used in my supercut, um, where a couple are attacked by a sentient tumbleweed. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's called, well, what's it called? Cry of Silence is the name of the episode. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> oh, I want to see that. <laughs> I'm picturing like Cujo, where there's a couple trapped in a, do- in a car by a dog, except it's a tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so is this like the 90s Outer Limits? Oh no, the original uh, uh, 50s? I don't know what it was. Okay. Yeah, I, I just fast-forwarded to the uh, Tumbleweed Pass, so I've not actually seen it all. <laughs> right, right. It's a very We're strange way to consume media. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of ruin- ruined movie-watching for me, this, uh, this super good thing. I know of a person that had a hyper-specific collection, which is um, a picture book that had all of... Uh, all of her favorite public lighting fixtures in San Francisco. Uh-huh. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and they were all, it was all um, Polaroid pictures. You get a Polaroid and would like mark out where the, where the best public lighting fixtures were and then go and take pictures of them. All the examples that are coming to mind are things that are like, I think they're data mined from video games. So like wikis that document every collectible item in the binding of Isaac, for example, or like there's another one that was a list of every move in every game that Mario has ever been in, including like moves by other characters. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a good one is JP. He's been on this show, right? Yeah. He has one called the castle on the cliff. Oh yeah. And it's, it's images of castles. on cliffs. That's a, that's a Tumblr, right? Uh, yeah, it is. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know what? We could just talk about like like desertchrome.tumblr.com. What's that? Oh, de- oh yeah, Desert Chrome. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Desert Chrome is a, a style of typography or I guess way of rendering text. I guess you could render other stuff with it too, but it uses a specific like a pair of gradients, like a yellow gradient and a blue gradient that make it look like your logo is reflecting the desert. Oh, I can picture this. Yeah, I, I remember being into those gradients when around the same time I was into American trucks. <laughs> oh, yeah. It seemed to go together, actually, yeah. I wanted to get an airbrush. Hey, that sounds like fun. You should get one now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you should just airbrush the side of your... Do you have a van? Oh, no, I need to get a van. Car? <laughs> you, you could, a, va- a van man you belt could, buckle. You could draw a van and then airbrush it. <laughs> getting a van man belt buckle is a commitment to a certain kind of lifestyle like, <laughs> you might not be able to follow that lifestyle since you have at least one child vans are great for children they got lots of seats <laughs> yeah but van man van dad van dad i'm claude van dad i'm just i'm just googling van dad now <laughs> for the rest of my life i'm just gonna google van dad the van dads.com <laughs> camper van conversions all right this isn't interesting Let's let's go to the next topic. Sure. Uh, Avery, your topic is Yuum, the city in China that produces 60% of all the Christmas decorations in the world. Yeah. So if you're like me, you've spent a lot of time in dollar stores. And when you're in dollar stores, if you, if you even think for a second, you start to wonder where, like, every single item in here was made by a human hand. Like a human being also had to design it and just grow out of the ground. And like, where is this made by whom and for whom? And how did it end up here? Um, And it turns out if that's a Christmas decoration that you're looking at, there is this 
city in China that has this place called the Christmas Market. And the Christmas Market is a several city block. It's a building that is several city blocks large that has sectors in it. And the sectors are, uh, each one is a stall. And the stall are samples for people, companies that make Christmas decorations. And the sectors are sectioned off by the kind of Christmas decoration. So there's like a whole sector I, I have seen it described as endless door, endless uh, 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 little cubicles full of people selling plastic Santa Clauses, and then there's one for like plush Santa Clauses, and there's some for uh, for plastic Christmas trees with flocking and without flocking. Uh, and while I was looking this up, um, I found uh, the uh, WiiUmarketGuide.com. Uh, slash Christmas product, Chris, buy Christmas products wholesale from wuchina.html, which is a guide to the Christmas district market. And it has things written in it like this. Inside market is in the A area, second floor, district one of Yuan International Trade City. At least 500 shops here selling Christmas products. Working time, nine, nine to 17, seven days a week. So the, the sheer scale of this is amazing. Uh, and, and it's it's all Christmas decorations. Yeah, and not just the, the manufacturing, but the scale of all these people who want to sell you plush Santa Clauses. Yeah, and most of them seem to be selling pretty much the same thing. So they're probably getting produced at, one, at like a few giant factories in China and then bought by these wholesalers and then resold within China to mostly foreign markets because uh, I don't think that in fact, part of what makes this so interesting to me is that Christmas is not a big thing in China. Um, in fact, uh, I think most mainland Chinese people are only dimly aware of what Christmas is. Um, yet there's an entire city <laughs> that is that is that is devoted to selling these kinds of things to like foreign suppliers will go will go to the city. I think the reason they put up this website is because of COVID. Yeah, so it's it's not just it's not just like, the scale of production it's it's the scale of middlemen who have decided like people who have taken it upon themselves to be like my this is my gonna be my thing is i'm gonna sell this certain kind of christmas tree yeah it's wild it is i'm looking at pictures it's uh is there, is there a place where the other 40 percent of christmas decorations are? <laughs> <laughs> oh it would be great if if the if the the rest of the forty percent came from just one other one other place <laughs> in the in the world, yeah. And like I I'd like to I'd like to ask people who work here for their understanding of what Christmas is, because um, I also feel like that's got to be really warped. Like uh, if you're doing this all year round too, I wonder if you know when people who celebrate Christmas celebrate it. Right. Yeah. All you know about is this. Is this dude wearing a red and white outfit with a beard? Yeah, and that like perhaps if you if you venture over into the Christmas tree district, you might know that uh, that trees are also used, right? Yeah, and like wreaths and stuff. Like the fact that it's all um, all local, all like they're all right next to each other indicates that there there's some awareness of this is a a memeplex. This is like a collection of ideas that go together. Yeah, yeah, memeplex. That's that's a, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
they 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 they've got to be grouped together because it must be the case that like a major like I don't know who the market for this is. I, I imagine it's a major distributor in the United States say would come here it's all dollar stores. When I start to think about it, it's like when I look at a picture of the local galaxy cluster or something and I start to feel like I'm losing my grip on meaning and like like <laughs> Yeah, just switch over to looking at huge Santa Claus markets. and, and Well, it, like, how is this kept afloat? If it's all dollar stores, it can't be that there are that many people. Can it be that there are that many people buying uh, Christmas decorations from dollar stores that, like, keeps all the... I mean, some of it's got to be, like, Target and stuff like that, right? But, like, it's it's just... it it, it, it I try to turn it over in my mind, and it doesn't it doesn't work out. Like, it doesn't hold still. Part of me wants to say that, like, econ- the economic system makes sense and that, like, if they're manufacturing this, there must be a buyer. Totally. But also, like, there are enormous comp- companies with enormous financial resources that have no idea what they're doing. And they're just making shit and failing left and right. And it's, ne- it's not going to be a problem for decades because they have so much money. Right, and that that goes double for that double for like governments. So uh, I, I read a really interesting article about um, why there were so many sort of clone shoes with strange names on Amazon that all came from China. And there's an interview with a guy who runs a factory that does this, and he was seemed pretty sophisticated about like he was like, yeah, we name them after things that seem to be like popular searches, so that they'll come up first. These shoes, and they're like. He had like a whole sophisticated way of staying sort of ahead of trends. Um, although he did say in this interview that he thought the next big thing was going to be uh, um, running shoes for dogs or something. <laughs> it seemed to be based on his understanding that uh, people in America treat their dogs like children. <laughs> so, oh, sure. So yeah. he was going to be like ahead of it. But like back to school sale for dogs. <laughs> yeah. But he, he seemed to he seemed to have a pretty sophisticated understanding of the market he was selling to. But I mean, granted, it's not it's not somebody in uh, in one of these larger, like very particular kind of wholesale environments. Yeah, it sounds like it's just the one dude. Yeah, that one is one is one dude, and there are a lot of guys like him. Uh, and it there's something about the way that factories work in China where it was easy or it was relatively. He was able to just kind of set up a small factory himself, and then uh, and then increase it in size and then hire other people to do, to do some of the shoes. This, I believe that the stalls are like small businesses and they are all sort of buying from a few large distributors and then redistributing. So I, I don't right. think this, I don't think the stalls in this place are the people who are making the, making the Christmas decorations, but must, must have, much of it is also made in this city. So much of it is made in this, in the city in like, the I imagine industrial part of the city, and then the rest of the city is taken up by the by these areas that are devoted to selling stuff, and most of it is Christmas stuff. I'd love to see a movie set in this place. Yeah. Oh yeah, like a romance Hallmark movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. Oh, the Hallmark movie would star like a white person visiting. That's not what I want. Oh, right. but a Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Uh, that's all the time we have for topic lords. Avery, if this is something that you want, where can people find, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, 
I don't know that I can be found on the internet. You can find my um, album on the internet. That counts. Bandcamp. I think it's just Bandcamp slash Avery Burke. Uh, if you see Avery Burke, San Francisco, that's me. If not, hey, go buy that other Avery Burke's album. Probably just as good. Yeah, probably. And D- Duncan, if, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I have a website, DuncanRobson.com, which has links to my videos and uh, Twitter and various other things. Yeah, check out Hours Played if you're interested. Yeah. Maybe maybe I'll release the spreadsheet to the public. People can uh, finish it off for me. Oh, do you have do you have shots planned for every minute of every other hour too? Uh, it's I think I have like sixty percent of the uh, the minutes in a day. <laughs> wow! Can I just find hours played on YouTube? Yeah. Great. I'm gonna do that right after this. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. Thanks so much for being on. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I, I'm uh, I was a little bit quiet for a lot of that. I was. I kept looking up things and then being, and then kind of zoning out, looking at images of uh, Christmas <laughs> markets and whatever. <laughs> Belt buckles. <laughs> Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!